I feel like we've gotten to this very strange place in diet culture where I hear more people demonizing things like sugar than I do things like alcohol. And I'm not against either of these things, but one of them is actually a poison that your body has to get out of you, and the other one at least has some potential to provide you useful energy. Sugar is fine. It's not great. It's not your best choice most of the time. It might be actively taking you away from your current goals, but it's absolutely fine. And especially if you're an athlete, it really could be helpful throughout your season. So I just wanted to do an episode on why sugar's not as bad as you might hear it is. Before we get into that, I wanted to say that I'm very much intending to do more frequent, shorter episodes from here on out. There will still be some longer deep dives on bigger topics. I'm still going to do some interviews, but I intend to do a couple of these shorter episodes a week so I can touch more things and so it doesn't take up as much of either of our day. I realized I was avoiding listening to some of my favorite podcasts because of how long they are. And I actually really like long-form media. I think it's helpful. I think it's beneficial. I enjoy these deep dives that people get into. But I'm busy. So I wanted to contribute a little more to the like 15 to 30-minute podcast episode space by providing some of these shorter episodes on these less complicated topics. So if you like that format, awesome. If you don't, also great. Let me know. And if you like any of the information I provide you, I'd really appreciate it if you set like a rating or a review or just shared it with somebody who'd benefit from it. That's all. Let's get into why sugar is fine. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. Today, I want to talk about sugar. And before I get started on this, I just want to say that sugar is not like the evil thing that we often all make it out to be. I hear people talk about sugar in one way or another, like almost every day. And so much of it is wrong. It does not directly cause obesity. It does not directly cause inflammation. And I'm not saying it's a savior that we should all just binge on, but we should also stop acting like it is the worst thing in the entire world. Um, before I get started, I wanted to say that I my schedule's gotten weird again, and I've decided to try to do more live videos in this group like more often and have them be shorter. So if you don't like this format, please let me know. But this will lead to probably more information overall, but me not trying to have to set out an hour of my day on whatever day of the week that seems to fit. Um, so it should lead to more overall information and less stress for me will also lead to more podcast episodes, etc. So I think this will be better. Again, if you hate this, or if we need to do a deep dive on something, we can block it out. But for the most part, I think this will be better. Anyway, let's get back to sugar. I don't know how I got into the position of defending 
sugar. Um, it's a weird thing being a coach who cares about the truth. Um, I don't eat a lot of sugar. I don't like candy. I don't have a big sweet tooth. Uh, I will eat an entire tray of brownies, but beyond that, and like some ice cream, but beyond that, it's not a thing I have a big craving for. And as a result, like I feel very strange trying to defend this thing that I don't really care about all that much in my personal life. But I think I see so much misinformation put on about this and I just wanted to share in hopes that it might help someone because it would have helped me when I was younger. So sugar is not like, again, a miracle nutrient, but it's also not great. We like hear that it causes obesity. We hear that it causes inflammation. I have a lot of people ask me how they can fuel their races without the use of sugar, but sugar really only does negative things in like a caloric surplus or a deficit or where you're missing something else. If we're looking at the obesity question, the insulin model of obesity, the one that says like carbohydrates cause obesity has been disproven repeatedly time and time again, and it is still being pushed, but it has so many adjustments to it that it now basically just says that an excess of calories will make you fatter and also raise insulin. It is no longer even presented as a direct cause anymore because of how incorrect the data has proven it. And we should also just stop demonizing insulin. It's a thing that we need to not die. So the more that I see this constant demonization of a hormone, it is exhausting. Much like testosterone or estrogen or any other hormone that we have, cortisol, yes, you can have too much of it. And for example, if your cortisol levels are constantly elevated, then you're going to be stressed and tired and kind of not a great person to be around. But this is not, this is the same with insulin. It doesn't make cortisol bad. You need it in order to function throughout your day. You need insulin in order to be able to digest food. It's a thing you need. So it is not the devil. And a lot of these people talking about insulin, like everybody in the world should wear a con continuous glucose monitor all the time and avoid anything that creates a spike. Nutty. Fair probably would be good if we all like got an insight of what those foods were for each of us, but we should also stop treating it like it's terrible. Second, most high carb foods that people demonize are also high fat, which is why they taste so good. Potato chips, cake, pizza, all of these things are calorically more fat than they are carbs. So it is not necessarily the sugar, it is the fact that they are hyper palatable. Now, as athletes, carbs are helpful. They are not essential, but we see a performance increase for everybody when we include carbs. This includes like Olympic race walkers and golfers. If it helps them, then it is going to help your running. Carbs help performance, period. I don't know why we keep having this argument. You can perform without them. Some ketogenic scientists like Dom D'Agostino have done a 500 pound deadlift at the end of a five day fast. It's not, it doesn't mean that he PR'd his deadlift. 
He is just a very strong human being and can deadlift heavy under less than optimal conditions. Carbs are helpful. You can perform without them, but you don't need to. And I don't think anybody should make you feel like you need to. Also, most athletes I know who go really into like hard into the low carb thing do not repeat success year after year after year. They stay high level athletes, but you rarely will see them string like years of wins on each other. And a lot of that is probably because they leverage the hell out of cortisol for a big performance year or two. And then we end up like seeing that subsequent dip as a result. There are a few who periodize their nutrition well and go through low carb periods and then use carbohydrates on race day. And I think that's a fantastic idea. But saying that we're going to go year after year with like no carbohydrates rarely leads to this continual performance output. And I also know <laughs> that a lot of people are just lying to you. They will sell you a keto protocol because it raises their fame or following, but they actually eat carbs. It is the same as like if you see business gurus or people out there trying to sell you and like tell you to shut up and just grind and do work. And yet a lot of them are taking exogenous testosterone or Adderall, or they're just on a ton of cocaine. Their internet is rife with nonsense and it is exhausting having any insight to the back end of it. So yes, we should not bin sugar all day long, but it is not like the demon nutrient. And if you are constantly underfueling by limiting an entire food group, then you're probably going to get hurt or overleveraged or overtrained. We see this large influx right now of red S, relative energy deficiency in sport. And some of that comes to this underfueling. And I'm not actually sure there's a big increase in it compared to past times, but I do think that we are seeing a lot or recognizing it a lot more. And it doesn't need to be this big over leveraged thing in order to start down that path. We just need to be under fueled a little bit on a regular basis for the activity we're doing, and you might lead towards overtraining. Anything that is going to push you down toward down this overtraining, overworking system that's going to get you hurt, I'm not a fan of. To be clear, there are people out there like Jeff Browning, and he's reduced carbs. He went through, he does this whole optimum or optimal fat metabolism thing, but he still uses carbs during his races. And again, this is a very good example of how we focus on one thing and then completely ignore the other. He uses a lot less carbs than some people, and he only started that because he was having gut issues. But he feels really good. He's put in the work to build that fat metabolism, and now he still uses carbs in his races, just less than other people. Right? So we need to find this middle ground of what might work for you. Carbs should apply to, like, or be applied to your current, relative, whatever activity and intensity level. If you are not very active at this phase in your life, then you probably don't need that many carbohydrates. If you're more active, you'll benefit from a higher percentage. And if you're doing more intense work, you'll also benefit from a higher percentage. Like, almost all high-level endurance athletes, and we're talking like professional marathoners, eat hundreds of grams of carbohydrates during and around their race day. Now, you 
probably don't need 700 grams of carbs per day during your any part of your training because not Elliot Kipchoge but like you'd probably benefit from an increase and if we see this like proportional to your activity level then great now let's get specifically into sugar and why this has been so demonized for one poorly done studies like epidemiological studies and other things like just people collecting not great data have connected things like sugar to obesity not completely true for one we'll just disprove that really quickly our sugar intake has actually gone down since the early 2000s and yet obesity has continued to rise so it cannot be the primary cause now we also see things like inflammation which again only really comes in tie when we're taking in a caloric surplus a lot of the things that you can see that are negatives of sugar comes because sugar comes and replaces other nutrients in someone's diet for one whole foods that have fiber in them so a lot of the negatives from sugar intake are pretty equally attributable to like a lack of fiber or other nutrients if you're mainlining sugar and we're comparing equal calorie diets then you're getting your carbs from you're not getting your carbs from somewhere else so whereas something like fruit might have a ton of sugar you are not getting any of the nutrients or fiber from that we're looking at a replacement and you were lacking as many good things as you were adding what we might call a negative thing if we take studies where they have an equal calorie equal macronutrient diet they make sure that all your nutrients are good and then they swap out some of the like let's call it less helpful carbohydrates so if we swap out rice for just sugar then we don't see a lot of these negative effects a lot of the reason some people have issues with high sugar stuff on race day is completely due to lack of hydration so if you take a goo and if you read it it'll tell you to take it with i think eight ounces of water and the reason is because if it if you get that much like carbohydrate like a brick in your stomach you're likely to feel sick you need to dilute it and if you're dehydrated you're not going to be able to digest it very well it's going to sit there and it's going to make you throw up and when i have a lot of people go through their nutrition stuff we realize how much they've been under hydrating for something like an ultra talked about this in the past and we can dive into it again but however you hydrate for something like a marathon it is a shorter effort the longer you go any hourly level of dehydration is going to stack over time so if you are dehydrating a little bit every hour and your ultra takes you 12 hours if you did a four-hour marathon that level of dehydration would have been okay if you do an ultra and it takes you 12 hours that relative level of dehydration per hour will stack up by that hour 12 you're going to be quite dehydrated and you're not going to be able to digest this sugar so we need to make sure that our hydration is on point through something like a sweat test or lots of experimentation or a reasonable amount of both and then if we look at like the people who want to do nothing but whole foods we see an imbalance here because something like a potato can actually raise your blood glucose even more than pure sugar so i don't really see the difference between something like a potato at an aid station and a gel if we're looking at a pure like fueling perspective 
yeah, potatoes have a lot of potassium. They have some fiber in them. They're a good whole food. I think you should probably eat them. But they are functionally very similar to a gel packet when it comes to fueling your race day. So why we favor one over the other partially is going to be because of how it sits in your stomach. Potatoes are going to digest a little slower or try to digest a little slower. So we're not going to see necessarily or in your stomachs. So they're going to break down a little slower. So we're not going to see this big thing. And then when they exit into your small intestine, you're going to see this big glucose spike. Whereas something like a gel is going to try to break down immediately because that's what it's designed to do. And then you're going to get this sickness feeling. So this is a lot of the issue that we're seeing. It's just a not quite a full understanding of how sugar works. And when I hear people talk about sugar, we see, I hear everything from saying fructose is great to glucose is great to whatever. They are different, but they don't, they digest differently. Fructose digests through your liver, etc. But when we're looking at like health things, like the amount of misinformation I hear is just nuts. I mean, I hear people demonize sugar more than they demonize alcohol. I hear some of these biohacker people online demonize sugar more than they demonize like nicotine. It is insane. We have two fairly highly addictive substances that don't really benefit you from a health perspective and have negative effects. Alcohol, nothing but empty calories, poison. Nicotine, yes, it has some brain benefits, but it's also highly addictive and like drops your dopamine levels. And yet we have these two things being lauded somehow by some people and sugar is just being called the devil. And I do not understand the balance. Further, if we're worried about some of these things, we can just build a little more muscle mass because your muscles act like a sink for glucose. They eat it. And if you have some more muscle mass, then you can get away with storing more glycogen. So you can eat some of that sugar and it will go into your muscles where it needs to go. And then you can put it to use and it will fuel your workouts. We should prioritize mostly whole foods throughout our day and then fuel our workouts as needed with whatever you were able to take in. And I will say from a personal perspective, I am just started a bit of a diet to try and lose some fat and purely aesthetic reasons. I've been open about this and for me, it is very clear how much these like hyper palatable foods make a difference on your taste buds. I can eat an entire pizza and a beer, and that's about 2,200 calories. And yet the lunch I made yesterday was like three times the size of that made of like rice and quinoa and vegetables and like meat. And it was really difficult to eat because it, it, yet it was like it was three times the size of that and yet it was a half of the calories of the pizza and it was really difficult to eat even each portion in a timely fashion so whole foods will help largely because of their satiety it has very little to do with their sugar breakdown or whatever so i will also hear people thing talk about things like whole natural sugar like maple syrup or molasses or honey versus processed sugar and there just really isn't much of a difference. There are some small micronutrient benefits to your natural sugars. Like molasses has a ton of potassium, but from a caloric perspective and an inflammation and an obesity perspective and a performance perspective, they're all the same. So one sugar isn't necessarily better than the other on all of these fronts, 
they are the same. So now that we've talked about how sugar isn't the devil, I will say that some people take it too far in the other direction. Someone who's training to just like finish their first 50k and not training all that much and not training all that hard and just trying to build some volume on their feet. And yet if they immediately decide to consume like 50 or sorry, 500 or 600 grams of carbs every day because they read something where you're supposed to consume 10 grams of carb per kilogram of body weight, that's too much. Like that is the ratio for professional marathoners as they are peaking and going into their race. It is not a one-size-fits-all thing. We still need to fit you. I have absolutely justified less-than-ideal food habits during training, and some of that is an overreaction to years of underfueling myself and getting injured, but ideally we would find this balance, make sure we fuel enough, and not stress too much about where it comes from. There are so many people who seem to think you're going to blow up if you even think about like running without fueling. Like you might not need to fuel a morning effort under an hour because you probably had dinner and your glycogen stores are still full. Arguably 90 minutes, but that 30 minute windows where things start to get weird. So if we're being safe, we'll call it 60. And you might get a little more of a hard workout if you do fuel it, but we're not going to call it strictly necessary. And if you dive into any dietitians like deeper posts, they will say that. But fueling shorter morning workouts is basically a measure of insurance, where like much like running in the morning or doing your workout in the morning is a measure of insurance to make sure you'll get it done. If you go work out in the morning for an hour and you don't fuel it prior and you make sure you get your post-workout meal, you're going to be fine. But a lot of the time we'll run out of time and forget and then we make and then we end up in a hole that we're trying to dig out of later in the day. And that is one of the main reasons why we should probably fuel everything to make sure we don't end up in that hole. But if you're pretty diligent about doing your thing for an hour and then getting food pretty directly after to get a jump on your day, great. You're good. And then finally there is the inflammation thing. I hear a lot about sugar being inflammatory, and I've said this in the past, and I've learned better over the years. Um, sugar is not inherently inflammatory. There are exceptions. There are always exceptions, and this is one of the issues with making short posts like this on Instagram or seeing little TikToks or whatever. But like, if you have IBS or IBD or like ulcerative colitis, then you might have sugar be pretty inflammatory to your system because you have something about you that is causing this to be bad. And even then, it is very specific types of sugars, but the safest way to avoid it is to just not eat any of them, right? And then you're almost certainly going to feel better because you've removed the ones that cause you problems. But you could also go through the annoying process of a low FODMAP protocol where you cut all this stuff and then start to add some of it back in and figure out what actually works for you. That is the actual system you probably need to go through. And for some people, they might find that they end up with a very limited diet. But 
it is not an inherently inflammatory thing, inflammatory thing, especially if you don't have other stuff going on. There are so many things that we could talk about inflammation, but I'm already running a little longer than I intended to for this like shorter format. We can talk about fat or omega-3s or whatever later, but I will add a little bit of personal anecdote to this. When I was originally getting into fitness, I experimented with a lot of diets. Like I did blood tests, and then I tried a diet, and then I did more blood tests, and then I tried another diet, and I wanted to see what it did to me. And I, one of the ones I tried was a like very high carbohydrate, um, very low fat, sub 10% fat diet. And that resulted in really high markers of inflammation on these blood tests. And this caused me for years to think that high carbohydrate diets were pretty inflammatory and they led to an unhealthy response and all these things. And turns out <laughs> in retrospect, it's just because I had no hormone response because I was starving myself of essential fat. If your diet isn't comprised of at least 25% fat, your hormones are going to take a hit. And then of course you're going to be inflamed <laughs> because you have no hormonal response. And this is one of those things where if you only have a piece of the data or you only have like a little chunk of it, you can get very biased one way or the other. But if we look at the overall picture of what we know from years of systemic studies and all sorts of other stuff, we can get a much better idea of how to make general recommendations. Now again, if you're doing something and it works for you, if you struggle with sugar cravings and you know that like one bite is going to lead you into a binge, then maybe you don't eat a ton of it. Like for me, I've gotten a lot better at most of my trigger foods, but brownies still on there. Like if I have one, I'm probably going to have five. And so I just don't eat them very much. And again, that's not a sugar thing. That is a sugar, fat, and chocolate thing. But look, at the end of the day, I really don't care if anybody ever eats sugar again. I have no stake in it. Um, I have had a lot of conversations with people in person with the advice that's basically, hey, an easy way for you to hit your goals would be to greatly reduce your sugar intake because you seem to have no off switch. So, but it wasn't a carb thing and it was more of a habit thing. If we just swap a lot of your soda intake for water, you're more likely to hit goals for these people. It's really hyper palatable. Sugar, salt, fat. These things make things taste good. And it is really easy to overeat when things taste good. And if we're overeating or greatly undereating, then we're much more likely to end up in a place of inflammation and problem. But sugar as like this demon nutrient, we should we should stop demonizing sugar when we don't have any idea what we're talking about. And when I hear someone throw out sugar as this terrible thing to eat, it's like when I hear someone demonize lactic acid instead of lactate. Lactic acid has nothing to do with your fatigue, and lactate is actually a fuel. Same with sugar. It is not a direct cause of anything. So let's stop demonizing it, accept that it can be a helpful fuel, also accept that it might not be the best fuel for everybody, and move on. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. If you listen to this, thank you so much. And again, I'm going to try to do some of these shorter ones 
a little more often. So if you have any questions, pop them in the group, and I'll be back on here soon with another one of these. Hope you have a great night. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.